0: Are you ready, ladies? Stand tall. Straighten those crowns and show them what you're made of. You're listening to the Farm Queen Podcast. So this week was a unique crown handoff where our current queen actually made a new connection this week um, and she is getting together with our this week's queen for a future collaboration for community and herb gardens, which is very exciting and we cannot wait to see what this brings for their communities. But we won't talk about that yet. For now, let's get to know this week's queen, Bryn. She has a passion for providing her family's food almost at full, by the sounds of it, but also for making sure that her community has access to the same kinds of fresh and high-quality foods for their families. So Bryn, welcome, and we are more than ready to hear your story of how you've grown your own farm and branching out to essentially making a bunch of smaller farms for others. So welcome. Let's get to know you.
1: To have been chosen. I appreciate you taking the time.
0: If you could tell us your name and your farm what you do, how long you've been at it, that sort of thing.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm Bryn, Um, and um, I, my farm is Wensleydale Cottage Farm, um, but I also run the uh, Room to Grow Cortland program. Um, I moved to back to New York after 10 years um, abroad in 2012 um, and with my husband, who is uh, British, and we noticed that there were a lot of differences between like the highly processed American food over here and the, the more local fresh food that we were used to in Europe. Um, like they don't keep they don't refrigerate their chicken eggs over there, even in the grocery stores. They're just on the shelves and they're brown and unbleached. And um, so we started with the gateway drug of chickens, like a lot of people do for farms. Uh, just to get that fresher, healthier egg um, on our farm. And somebody gave us six of their chickens. And from there, uh, it grew into the farm that we have today, thanks to uh, a lot of people like Doreen, who mentored us along the way, helping us to figure out how to do cows. And um, so we now do, um, we do chickens for eggs and meat, and we do turkeys. Um ducks for eggs and uh, sometimes meat and then we do uh, pigs and cows that uh, I occasionally milk and we also use for primarily for beef and then um, from that we grew into oh and uh, we also do vegetables Uh, we have a small CSA and we do um, uh, fruit trees and berries and we also do maple syrup and from from our own home project, we tried to figure out how to make that food experience more accessible to other people, to try encouraging um, either growing your own food, uh, eating locally, uh, just having less processed, uh, more healthy food um, from, from the local food system. And so uh, we started the Room to Grow project, and that started back uh, during... COVID when we wanted to figure out what the barriers were for people to accessing gardening Um, and a lot of the things that we discovered were uh, that mobility is a real big issue in our community for gardening so a lot of people either have disabilities or um, are getting older and aren't able to kneel down and garden in a traditional garden plot so we started building handicapped accessible raised beds and distributing those for free in our community um and that's now grown into a community learning garden where we in the center of Cortland City we have a garden that anyone can come and pick fresh food can help with the gardening experience and we do classes and everything from composting to cooking to um growing container gardens, all different things to help people uh, understand how to eat and grow their own food and also have access to it if, for example, they're in apartments or something like that.
0: That sounds busy, to (laughs) put that mildly. Um, I mean, your farm alone sounds like it's got quite a lot going on, and then you're out here and you're building garden beds to give to people. You're working on, obviously, expanding with your classes and everything. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about where this idea came from? Um, because you know, you said like obviously you guys had this experience of the you know the fresh eggs at the grocery store when you were overseas, you came back and you needed this for yourselves. So where did this like the switch flip for you where you said, you know what, we need to do this for other people? Because that's obviously, you know, double the work, if not more by the sound of it, because you're doing your farm, you're doing farms for others. I mean, everybody thinks that that would be a nice idea, but what is it that pushed you to actually do it?
1: Yeah, I think, um, so at some point we had to make the decision, like when we started moving into bigger animals for ourselves on our farm, um, what it is that we were going to be and why we were doing that. And I really, um. I don't like to call ourselves a hobby farm. We're a smaller farm. We've got like 40 poultry and between, you know, eight and 12 cows depending and a handful of pigs and stuff. Um, But for us, it was a really conscious decision to be like a small community farm. So, you know, things like, my friends who do this stuff as a hobby, they'll be like, oh no, it snowed and my greenhouse collapsed. So sad. Oh well, guess I'm not doing it that anymore. And I'm like, it's snowing. I'll get up every two hours through the whole night and clear off my greenhouse so it doesn't collapse. <laughs> or like, oh my cow died because it was calving and I didn't know what to do. And No, I'll like go out and, you know, Doreen will come and help or the vet will come and help or whatever. And so I think once we decided to be really invested in building this food system for ourselves and our community, um, and first of all, realized like how much work it is and how important it is to support um, local farms of, of any size, um, but also how inaccessible that makes it for a lot of people um, to really do it successfully. The natural next step for us was how can we get local food into people's hands um, who either don't have the time or the land or the physical capacity to do this. And so I uh, from there, it was a case of finding out what the barriers were to people. Um, because what's, you know, what's difficult for me, it might be very difficult or might, might be easy for someone else and, and, and vice versa. And so, um, I actually put together a community forum, uh, where we, and it was via Zoom at the time because everything was via Zoom (laughs) during COVID. Um, And just ask people, like, what are your opinions on fresh food? And, of course, we had a lot of feedback about things like uh, expense um, and how they felt it was really expensive. Or it was difficult to have to go to, like, five or six different people to get um, different things. Um, Or uh, they felt like um, it was a lot of time to have to grow their own. They didn't have the space. Uh, You know, fresh stuff didn't last as long. Um, because it's not full of preservatives, obviously. <laughs> so uh, so then we looked at how can we uh, overcome those barriers. And so some of it was giving people space in the community to grow. Um, some of it was offering things on our own farm, like we do uh, pay at forward shares, where you can purchase um, a, a share of vegetable or meat from our farm, but for someone else. Um, and so we then donate that to nominated individuals and families to overcome that barrier of expense. Um, some of it was knowledge. So we do a lot of, uh, like connecting with other community members to help people understand where they can get food and to make it easier for them. Um, uh, like we, uh, set up a local farmer's market, um, but made it very family friendly so that people can, uh, come and, um, buy affordably but also meet their local farmers in one place which makes it easier for them and it's at the same time um, as local library events so families are already coming with their children to these fun things and then they can learn about the farms as well and access that food Um, and and part it was just education as well So uh, for our uh, raised bed programming, we did a year's worth of curriculum for people online uh, from everything to like, now's the time to plant this seed to um, here's how you prune your plants. Here's some recipe ideas to make with them. Here's some ways to include your children in that. And we provide them with everything they need to garden because you can have a garden bed, but if you can't afford soil, plants, tools, watering can, it makes it a lot more difficult for you to farm um and so with those garden beds and those container gardens that we provide we also provide all the plants for free and the soil for free as well um and then in the community garden anyone's welcome to come in who doesn't have the space to grow again it's in the city it's in an empty lot formerly an empty lot um And so people can just come in and try things. And we find that's really critical for like the education portion is, you know, having your kid be able to wander around a garden and be like, oh, like, what's this funny looking thing? It looks so different from a tomato that I've seen in the grocery store. And oh, it tastes so different from a tomato I've tried in the grocery store, you know, retrying, reacquainting yourselves with those things that maybe you don't even like from from the grocery store because they taste so different to the fresh food. Um, And really having all generations involved in that growing process. So I guess for for us, it was just like a recognition of the privilege that it is and the health and the uh, the money and the time to run our own farm and how important that was to us and how dedicated we felt to that. And then how do we extend that opportunity to other people as far as possible?
0: My head spins a little bit just thinking about how in-depth you guys got with this to, to do the community forum and to really I mean most people are like oh well we'll just you know use a vacant lot or we'll petition our city or our town for it and everybody has to kind of contribute on their own and so it's like a group think effort but you're just over here like nope I got it I got it let's just do it um well there's a lot of community collaborators (laughs) Uh, I'm sure but somebody's got to drive it still
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and I'm lucky to be able to do that but I think we found, you know, some of the the current models for that. Like you were saying, the, the current model for gardens is like, okay, empty plot, stick some beds on it. This is your bed, this is your bed, this is that, your bed. And there are tons of those community, traditional community gardens in our county that are just empty, that no one uses, that are overgrown with weeds, because people don't have the time to go to somewhere way far away from their home every single day to plant and weed and do all those things that they need to um you know people want to people want a community effort people want to come together and be like oh i can give every other tuesday i'll come weed the community garden or you know i really want my kids to learn about this but i don't have i don't have transportation to get to somewhere so Um, So we're also delivering the food from the community garden to local food pantries and things, too, and bringing those experiences out. Um, But, yeah, definitely to emphasize, it is a huge uh, I'm lucky to be able to to my husband works full time um, in a position that I can just do the farm and the community projects full time. Um, And but. Everything that we do from on the farm with collaborating with our neighbors to tap the trees to the community garden is all just because of amazing, amazing community members who who come together and um, and make this possible. People really want to help and people want to make these community projects. And if you just kind of give the ball a little poke, it starts rolling. So,
0: Now, is there any is there any plan in the future for you to. I know it's not the right word because you're a nonprofit, but to like franchise this expand it outside of your city or out of your county we've had a lot of
1: calls cool. about that yeah so Syracuse hmm. uh the Syracuse someone on the city council called about doing that kind oh. of thing it's really hard to find someone who is able to dedicate full time to this um And, you know, like I said, I'm lucky that I can that I can do this full time running um, both arms of the non-for-profit, but it's hard to find somebody who can do that. And so that's been where it's fallen down in other places. Mm -hmm. And um, doing it just for the county is enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: Well, over time, I'd love to see, you know, I hope anybody listening that would volunteer for this that's in your area or nearby would volunteer for like, hey, let's figure out how to basically like make this a template program and work to get like somebody in some other city or in their yes. county has got to get excited and and be like, okay, show me what you do and we'll figure out the template and we'll duplicate what we can and make it work. And such a cool idea. I mean, like I'm thinking about it, but I'm just really far away. So I don't know how easy it is for me to come come see what you're doing, but.
1: I would love to see that. I'd love to see it spread. You know, I think it is possible and communities are are really hungry for collaboration. So hopefully somebody will- We'll pick it up and say, I I think I can make that happen for sure.
0: I'm really glad in there, too, that you mentioned your pay it forward CSA. So I did have a note that I wanted to ask you about that. Um, now, is that something that you had done before this community garden effort or did that come about because of this idea of accessibility and, and kind of providing for your communities differently?
1: So, no, that was the first thing was doing this pay it forward. Um, uh, effort at, on the farm. And that's actually kind of what, uh, bore out building to the wider community because we just can't service the kind of demand on our little farm that, that is out there in the community. Um, we decided when we started our farm that the goal was going to be, uh, to feed our family. Um, and if we can cover the cost of feeding our family, then whatever extra we have would go into the community at cost essentially. Um, and so we do, uh, so for example, the pay it forward CSA, um, with the vegetables, if you buy your own share, we donate a share to someone else for free. Um, and we're able to do that because we aren't, it's not our livelihood selling vegetables. We grow vegetables for ourselves and we happen to have a lot of vegetables. (laughs) So we're able to, you know, take what we have and then uh, sell some shares to people who are interested in purchasing it and then donate the extra that we grow. Um, And so the purchases are all just to cover the cost of the plants and things and not, not for us to make a profit. Um, And same with the times. uh, So like we've donated, um, We did a collaboration with a farmer's market on Route 13 in Ithaca, where they donated like potatoes and squash and all those kind of winter vegetables. And then we raised birds um, for people for Thanksgiving. And we put together Thanksgiving boxes and gave those away to families. We hatch our own turkeys and chickens from our breeding pairs. And so, you know, we don't have like input costs of the polts that we buy and that kind of thing. So we keep again what we're going to use for ourselves, and then um, donate or uh, sell at a price that covers just our costs to community members, so that they can they can access those things. So we're we're lucky to be in a position where, as long as we cover our costs, um, we can we can donate whatever extra we have.
0: That is such a cool way to do it. I love that your focus is covering your cost and then the extra is just you sharing the extra. That is so unique in the in the farming world, I think, in the farming business world. I'll say I'm sure that there are plenty of homesteaders and small farms and hobby farms that are doing that, but to make that conscientious decision to say, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna just kind of like make X dollars because that's what we need to cover our costs and keep this going. And then after that, we want to be able to share this with other with others in the community totally awesome thing. So in the fact that I know it says on your website that you started on a smaller property and then you moved up to a larger one, um, can you talk to us a little bit about that process? Because I think it relates back to kind of what you're saying of like a lot of these barriers that people have. We, I think we all in the farming community, we know that the cost of land and especially in the last few years has really become a huge barrier for people to get to their own kind of farmland or even just enough space to really have a decent garden to provide more for their families. So, um, you know, you've you've kind of come and gone and and gone and come back <laughs> and traveled all around and done this. So, how how does that process kind of go as far as buying a farm um any you know, maybe even buying that community space or however you acquire the community garden spaces and <laughs> you know kind of what is what does that look like for the people who are especially in these last couple of years struggling to acquire land for their own purposes
1: oh yeah i mean hands down that is absolutely the biggest barrier to any of this it's just it's really disheartening to see yeah so we i lived in england for 10 years um And we, we laugh now because when we bought our little tiny, um, nine acres, when we moved back to America, um, we, our entire town in England could have fit in those nine acres because that's how close people live. So we lived in a little row house, um, and we had a yard about the size of a pickup truck. Um, yeah. And we, um, And I still I just always felt that connection with, you know, I grew up on what was definitely a hobby farm. Like my mom brought the chickens in to the basement in the winter so they didn't get cold and sad kind of thing. Yeah. So So, um and so I loved that connection with the land and with animals. And I wanted that in England. And it was really hard um to have that for ourselves um because property prices were so high and uh and the land is so parceled off so small. But we still we had raspberries. Um And we grew like some lettuce. And and at least my kids had that connection to the soil. And while we were living in England, um, we came over to America. And I actually bought uh, an acre of land just like in a random place in New York. Just to like own a piece of America as this promised myself that we were going to come back and and have some land. Um, And then in 2012, uh, we had the opportunity to move back over here uh, near my parents um, in Dryden. And we got a little, uh, nine acre place, but it was like mostly swampy woods. Um, Mm -hmm. almost all of, yeah, (laughs) we didn't actually know that at the time of purchase. Um, and then the, like the house, it was, there was no basement. It was just on a, um, it was actually someone's summer home, uh, for some winter birds. And so like the well didn't even work in the winter, the house flooded. Um, it was like, park the car because it was so swampy. So that was a real adventure for us, but you know, once we decided um we wanted to do animals, we built um the the barn just like a run-in with the help of a neighbor, um a friend and um put up some fencing and started with a couple of cows. Um, and as long as we had the resources that we needed to make sure the animals were properly looked after, um, that would be my big emphasis. Like when you're looking at what you can support on your land, um, think about, you know, maybe if you have a smaller space, do goats instead of cows or, um, you know, don't, you don't need 30 chickens if you only have space for a tiny coop, like just start off small we started with the six chickens and then moved into the two cows as we could afford it and as we um as we could find the space for it and then we um looked for uh somewhere where we could expand the farm and um we really wanted to uh move into a particular school district where it was super super expensive to buy um and what we ended up doing was finding this place uh, that my husband said absolutely not, <laughs> because the house was a wreck. It was really bad. Um, and, uh, and but you know what? We just we walked the property. Uh, we're still only on 22 acres. We're hoping to expand a bit more. But we just walked that property and we saw the outbuildings and just the the beautiful. Uh, maple trees for tapping and the pastures and the barns and we thought like this is this is where the investment has been on this property and we can do the house up but this has what we need for our homestead so I think when you're looking like definitely keep an open mind about um what your priorities are and what you can what your capacity is to like fix it to be the way that you want. Um, and so we've worked really hard to do up the house. Um, we've done a lot of work ourselves and had only hired what we needed to hire for and that's made a big difference to our being able to get somewhere that was super affordable um but uh, had what we needed for space. And so that's something that you can really think about too like, Uh, You know, what what are my priorities for what I actually need with this and what can I do myself to build um, in the future what I'm what I'm looking for? And so that was a really big help for us, too, was being able to to envision what it could look like uh, with work. And we've been there five years now and have it pretty much the way that we want it um, other than the trying to deal with the mud which is always a problem (laughs) we're right at the the lake basin and so we get like all the runoff from the hills this time of year and it's like a river running through the yard but we're working working on that slowly um so yeah but i i do you know land is such a huge huge obstacle and affordability like you said is is so difficult um but there are ways to reclaim like the place that we bought now uh, it's on 22 acres, but it's only got um, a couple acres of really good pasture. Um, And some of that when it floods, isn't great, but we have um, worked through some land reclamation um, techniques. So for example, we get pigs and we put them in a rotating pen. And so they dug up all of the likes. Uh, There was a ton of underbrush um, and moss and, Uh, thistles in the area that we wanted to use for the cows, for pasture, and then we had them dig, dig, dig it up, and then we seeded it with what we wanted to be there. And by rotating the pigs and the chickens through and then seeding, we're able to expand the pasture that's available to our animals with what looked like just junk land before. Um, So that's another thing that you can do is think about how can I have this holistic vision of my farm that uses all the different animals uh, in a way that allows us to create a more sustainable um, uh, farm and and use land that's maybe not prime, already cleared um, hay growing on it farmland for our farm.
0: It sounds a lot like what I'm learning how to do is rotate the pigs. So I hear you that that is not exactly a fast effort, um, but I really like the way you said that of focus on the long-term picture and the big picture of what you want so that you're not necessarily just like, I have to buy, like, this looks like a picture perfect farm. This is what I need to buy. It's okay if you buy something that doesn't quite look like a farm because you can then usually work to turn it. I mean, if it's got dirt, you can turn it into a farm eventually. So I'm really glad you said that. So the other thing that we did want to ask about, um, you've got some kind of fun things going on with your farm too, besides just, you know, the hard work, the busy days, all of that. Um, something that kind of stood out for us is the, it sounds like you've got a a farm store, a little roadside kind of thing going on. And I was personally really interested in, you have maple, sugar, candy, fudge, and you mentioned natural home products. And I would love to hear more about how that fits into everything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, that was part of our effort to really like connect our local community um, with those things. And also, um, honestly, my three boys, um, and they are 15, 13, and 5. And having them have a way to uh, see some return from the farm as well, obviously, other than the food that they enjoy every day. But um, uh, they really were looking for ways to, uh, to earn money and to um, learn entrepreneurial skills. And so I bought them as a gift uh, a little shed <laughs> that we turned into a farm stand. Um, And so, you know, they painted it and did it up and got the furniture for it and got an old um, little tiny like soda refrigerator for the eggs and uh, figured out how to to make it all work. But then we also connected with other people in our community. So like during COVID, there was a friend of ours who was sewing fabric masks and we're like, hey, you should put some of those in the farm stand. And um, we, uh, you know, we do the eggs and vegetables and flowers and um, maple syrup. But, um, we have another friend who also owns a farm and she does soaps like, uh, goat's milk soaps and, and that kind of thing. And she, uh, does natural home care products. And so she had that, um. To, we invited her to have those products there too. And so just like connect having a little space where our local community could connect and find out about all those farmers around us, um, so that they could uh, have it all in, in one place and also have it be a way for our children to learn about how to uh, you know, coordinate efforts in the community, how to set prices, how to um manage the shop day to day. And sometimes it's been really great. And sometimes they like forget to open it for two weeks in a row. And I, I won't open it for them. That's my rule. Like if they forget to unlock the shop and set it up, that's lost revenue for them. And they learn the that way. Um, and so the success or failure of it is something that's dependent on the kids. And it's a really good way for them to learn about, um, you know, what happens when you work hard and what happens when you don't. <laughs> I love that you have that as that's
0: their project, because I think there are a lot of farms out there that aren't willing to trust their children with that. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, if it if it's a potential revenue in, then like, yeah, nope, can't. I mean, the kids can maybe work at it, but they're not in charge of it. So that's very cool that you've got, I think, what most would consider, you know, pretty young kids working on it. Very cool. So let's shift gears just a little bit here, because obviously you're on here because you're the farm queen this week. And so, you know, as always, we would love to know, how did it feel? What did it mean to you when you got the crown this week?
1: Oh gosh, it was very unexpected because uh you know as you mentioned uh the former farm queen and I had only just connected um and so so it was a nice surprise but I really love just the opportunity to uh like hear about and meet all these other women you know we've really uh it's a really big network of farm women that have built up uh in New York thanks to the work of a lot of the the administrators and things of this group and um and so to to be able to hear about the work that other women are doing around is is really inspiring to me. Um sometimes you feel like you're the only one especially with like prevailing attitudes about what we do uh <laughs> sometimes in the farming community or just in the community in general and so to to see other people who are really going and uh pursuing their dreams and and doing things the way that they want to is really neat.
0: Yeah. I uh I think That's been one of our favorite parts is, is getting to see, you know, obviously we've seen that there are lots of these farm women, but to really have this opportunity to do this kind of deep dive and get to know women like yourself who are, who are doing the hard work, following their dreams. I would say creating new dreams that are bigger than they started with. And I don't know (laughs) if you ever have those moments where you look back and you're like, man, what was I thinking? This is a lot of work, (laughs) but but somehow, even if you think that you're still doing it, so it's obviously, you know, something something different about these farm queens that they're not quitters, point blank. They're not quitters, but they're still they're still going, very very, yeah, very clear that that women are like that. So, uh, the other question I wanted to ask you, you know, we've talked a lot about these barriers to community. We've talked about. You know, kind of the, the road that you've had to get to, I think, what you would consider kind of a much better farming situation than where you started. Um, you know, just kind of um that whole path of there's a lot of uphill in developing a farm. There's a lot of uphill in getting access to farm fresh foods, all of that. What is
1: it that keeps you going? I'm very stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my Fair enough. Would say. <laughs> yeah, I think um I guess every day I just really recognize, you know, my my husband, he grew up in a in a really poor family um, of 11 kids. Um, and they often uh, you know, he wouldn't have shoes to wear that didn't have holes in. Or they'd have um, the story they always tell is having to share like one can of tuna fish between, Aww. you know, not then. Um, and we've had times in our lives when we've been really, really poor. Um, and now we're at a point in our lives where we see the difference it makes in in our health. Uh, in our mental and physical well-being to be able to have access to food, to be able to grow our own food, to raise our children in an environment um, where they have outdoor space to play in, and they can eat. Um, you know, we we can eat pretty much whatever we want when we want to at this point um, because of. And we have food security when everyone was worried during COVID about the meat shortages and things. We had a year's supply of meat in our uh, freezers because of the food that we raised and uh, just the the quality of life that that brings. And so, uh, you know, that gives me determination not only to continue with our family to do that kind of thing, but also uh, to, to bring that to other people because I've been at the other end of that where um, you didn't know what things were going to be like and you were you were worried or um, once we lived in this apartment in the middle of like the most dangerous part of the city in the city that we lived in in England um, and the walls were just absolutely covered with black mold and the landlord wouldn't do anything about it so sick every day Um, and I, I know what that's like to live like that and I want to have just a little bit of making people's lives better, even if it's just that they get to have, you know, a garden fresh tomato <laughs> for once, uh, because it takes that pressure off of those the those struggles. And it, it makes such a difference to your, your physical and your mental health to have access to those things.
0: I'm going to ask you a big question. You can think about it for a second if you need to, more than a second <laughs> for a minute. If you could... I don't know if you can, but if you could, you know, name it or describe it. Um, you know, this this community effort that you're doing, like you mentioned, food security and quality of life and the health impact of these farm foods and everything, that's there are a lot of huge things that could come from that. What is the impact that you hope you leave with this? Like if there's, you know, a domino effect, a ripple effect with all these things, all it takes is one person to start something. What's the big picture that you, you dream of seeing come out of all of this?
1: Yeah. So the, so the nonprofit that, um, kind of grew out of all these efforts does two things, um, has two arms and one of them is food justice. So this getting people access to fresh food. Um, and then the other one is arts. So we do free music lessons for people. Um, we do a theater camp for vulnerable kids. Um, and, um, the The vision of it was, um, collective impact. So, for, it was really, really eye opening for me. Um, when COVID started, I had always been just a member of like the traditional, like the PTA, and like all of the like set up within the parameters of government and social things. Uh community groups. Like this is the way that it's done is you go to the PTA meeting and you bring your, you know, casserole and like, that's how we run a community. And then when COVID started and everything kind of fell apart, um, I joined some mutual aid groups and it was just like, people who are saying like, this isn't something isn't right. Like people, we shouldn't be able to all just collapse like this. Like it needs to be better. And the only people who are going to help us is ourselves. And how can we build a collective uh, impact, a group that will do that? And so I hope um, what we leave is the idea of how powerful just A group of community members can be operating outside of any, uh, you know, uh, social or governmental or whatever parameters, just getting together and saying like that we can do we can do better than this. And I only have my five minutes to give or I only have my knowledge of this thing, but when all of us come together, we can do something incredible. Um, so let me give you an example. What the first year we did the garden project, we had, uh, 29 people who signed up for needing free garden beds across the community. And this was our first year that we'd ever done it. They're like 110 bucks a piece to build. Um, plus all of the soil and the plants and everything. And we were like, oh gosh, that's a lot of people. Like we thought maybe we'd give out five beds and now there's 29 people. But I was like, I'm not disappointing these 29 people. Like they have come on board for this. They're excited about this. We're gonna do it. And so we did a dollar drive. Like I I, I do lots of grant writing and, and pursuing donations and things, but I really, really wanted to test out this collective impact experiment. Like, can we do this? just on our own with our little amount that we do and so uh we did a challenge for the community and we said look um like i've got 800 friends on facebook and you've got 800 friends on facebook like if everybody that you know just donates one single dollar to this project we can fund it tomorrow. Like all I'm asking is for $1. Um, And so we did, we raised $3,000 in about 10 days um, just from people giving like their $1, their $5, whatever little bit that they had that they could give. And that to me is what it's all about. Like you might only have a little bit of energy, a little bit of time, a little windowsill space to grow on. But if we all give our little bit, the, the collective impact that we have is is incredible. And it's far greater than any external organization coming in, you know, any big company donating a little bit of their time, what we can do together is is far greater than that.
0: I might cry a little hearing <laughs> that explanation, because that phrase collective impact is going to keep bouncing around in my head for the next few hours, for sure, thinking about that. That's that's a huge. It's a tiny phrase, but it is a huge phrase to really think about exactly what you said. If we all work together, even just a little bit, what can we make happen from that? Wow. What a huge thought. Like I my mind is literally blown right now. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm totally derailed for the rest of the day. Anything I had to get done. I'm not going to be able to focus all day because I'm going to be thinking about that. But With that, I think you might be the perfect person to answer the next question that I would love to ask you. Um, We'll switch it up a little bit. Outside of that, for any future Farm Queens listening, for people who are hoping to, whether they take advantage of community spaces or whether they're working to get their own farm space, what do you have to say to them to inspire them? keep going, to keep pushing past the hardships, to keep, you know, keep on the path, even when hurdles come
1: up and delay them or anything like that? I would say start with, start with your purpose and then work from there. Um, I see a lot of people starting to farm who are like, I'm going to do it this way because this is how I've been told that it's been done or, uh, and, and, and you don't have to do that. Like what, what is your reason and your passion and your drive for doing this? And if you start your planning with your passion, then you can work through those tough times because that's, what's driving the project, not doing it the way, uh, that you, you know, you think it should be done uh because that's the way you've seen your neighbor do it not trying to go full bore all at once 500 acres like whatever like how does this thing that i'm doing align with my passion and my vision for my life and for my farm and my family and my community and if it does then choose it and if it doesn't then you don't have to do it like let it fall to the side i i um sometimes milk my cows. And I really wanted to be able to like get all of my dairy products from milking, um, when we first started. But, um, then I discovered two things. One of them was community collaborations and a dairy opened up near us, Trinity Valley that has like incredibly produced, uh, ethical, not like cream on top, delicious, milk. And I thought, why am I killing myself trying to do this when my neighbor's doing it better than I do it? (laughs) I should just buy from them. And the other thing I discovered was like, okay, what, what was my purpose? Like my purpose is making sure that my kids have access to healthy dairy products. And so which aligns more with that? Like me trying to milk my beef herd and killing myself doing that or me knowing how to do that so that if we ever need to milk, I can. But collaborating with a community member to do that so think outside the box that's the same thing that we did with our maple sugaring like the first year we moved in i tapped 75 trees myself i was up there with a little drill like drilling the tree tapping trying to get this whole mechanical system to work that i didn't understand very much the vacuum tubes and um the guy who had lived there previously had put together this system that he'd like cobbled together himself and i it was very touchy And then my next door neighbor, young guy moves in next door. He's in his early 20s. And he's like, hey, my dad's done that for like 20 years. Would you be interested in us coming to help? Absolutely. I want you to come help. And so they tap 1,200 trees in our woods. They've set up this incredible vacuum system. They've got an RO. They've got just this gorgeous system. And that partnership is better and aligns more with what I wanted to do, which was getting the most out of those woods than I could have ever done on my own. So, you know, definitely embracing partnerships and deciding what your vision is and if the things you undertake align with that vision would be my two pieces of advice.
0: I'm not going to lie. That's deep. That's a, that's, I love the one question that you, you said in there, and I'm probably wording it a little wrong, but I want to make sure that people hear it because it's a, it's a good question for even established farmers to ask themselves sometimes of, Does this thing that I'm doing align with my purpose and my goals? Because I think I've seen a lot of people, especially lately, COVID did throw it into light with, you know, we need to support small farms and we should shop local and all this kind of stuff. And so I think there are a lot of farms who are adding things in, um, you know, whether it's different meats that they're selling that they've never raised before Oh, well, you know like we have beef maybe we should maybe we should get a raw milk certification it's like maybe you shouldn't because you have a beef herd and that's not exactly an efficient kind of uh operation to be running if you're trying to to sell raw milk off of beef cows as some people yeah, would know but
1: great raw milk operation like just let them sell in your store and you sell their beef in their store a collaboration in your right. area is much more efficient and build your community like who doesn't want to build your community you know you don't have to do it on your own right. you don't do all the stuff it's much better to build a sustainable network in your community
0: exactly exactly very very well said Brian I think that's as much as my brain can comprehend from you for today <laughs> we'll put it that way um, anybody else who Without question, wants to follow along and see how your community efforts are going with your room to grow program and how your own farm is going connect with you locally, but be part of your collaboration. I mean, hopefully you get a couple more of those along the way. Where
1: can they follow you along and keep keep kind of keep tabs on you, get in touch, et cetera. Sure. So our main presence is on Facebook Um because i'm old and so that's how i do things (laughs) maybe one day i'll have a tiktok i don't know um so uh our farm is at wensleydale cottage farm um and we have a a website wensleydale cottage shop as well but that's uh updated more like when we have offerings and that kind of thing there's no blog or anything i tried doing that and i could either farm or blog about farming but i could not do (laughs) um uh, but we also have, so the overarching um, not-for-profit that does everything, the arts and the food justice, is called Cortland Collective Impact Initiatives. Um, and that has a Facebook page. And then Room to Grow Portland is um, the one that does all the uh, food access projects, including the Portland um, Community Learning Garden, which also has its own page. <laughs> <laughs> And Access to Arts Cortland is other one that we do if anybody's interested in the music lessons and that kind of thing. So. You got a few
0: Facebook pages to keep up on. This was <laughs> so great. I hope I hope countless people listen to this and follow you and join your, what do you want to call it, your think tank, your path forward, your purpose. I hope we get some kind of huge boost out of this because what you're doing is a beautiful thing. And we have been honored to be able to talk to you and get to hear more about it this week. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for taking the time. I really enjoyed chatting with you.
0: Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support our podcast by clicking the link in the description, by subscribing through your favorite podcast app, and by following us on your favorite social media platform.